in the year 902, after more than five decades of near-ceaseless warfare, a coalition of Irish kings, led by the rulers of Brega and Leinster, came together in a vast alliance to finally and definitively drive the Scandinavians out of the port city of Dublin. At the time, by far one of the largest and most influential Viking strongholds in all of Europe, and a bastion for piratical sea raiders for over 60 years. Though much of the subject population of the city, which in all likelihood was mostly made up of people of at least some Irish descent, probably remained upon the island, the ruling warrior elite, along with their families and retainers, were set adrift upon the Irish Sea. Dublin remained largely depopulated and mostly abandoned for the next 15 years to come. Though the sacking of Dublin came as a great victory to the various Irish kings, who of course, before long, went back to their old ways of warring amongst themselves, it also created innumerable problems to the other coastlines of Britain and Northern Europe. Not since the initial Viking invasions into Britain in the mid-9th century had such a mass exodus of Northmen occurred. These were no mere refugees. Upon the decks of hundreds of finely crafted dragon ships stood some of the most skilled warriors in the whole of Europe pagan lords of war, glittering with mail, swords and gold, supported by elite retinues of hardened fighters. And now that the whole of Ireland stood united against them for the time being, this highly experienced class of warrior elites, blooded from a lifetime of perpetual warfare against enemies on all sides, set their sights upon the foreign shores across the sea. Had they remained together, united as one, their force would have been the bane of any nation of Western Europe. But fortunately, for the other kingdoms of Britain, it wasn't to be that way. Some vessels travelled to Pickland and the outlying Scottish Isles to try their luck against the growing power of the House of Macalpine. Others went to Francia to join the massive armies plying their trade along the Seine and Loire rivers. Others still made their way to the already well-established Scandinavian settlements in Jorvik, Mercia and East Anglia. But possibly most notably of all, a substantial fleet of ships under the warlord Ingermunder headed just over the Irish Sea to the nearest shoreline available, and one familiar to Vikings for close to a century. They headed to Anglesey, a large island just off the northern coast of Wales, and at the time, an integral stronghold of the northern Welsh kingdom of Gwynedd. Though much of what happened within Wales during this brutal and chaotic period remains shrouded in mystery, the attack on Gwynedd in the latter half of 902 may actually represent the largest and most notable of all Viking attacks upon Wales during the entire Viking Age. Unfortunately for Ingermunder and his warriors, however, the King of Gwynedd at the time was Anarod ap Rodri, the son of Rodri the Great, the most powerful king in Welsh history up to this point, and a recent ally of Alfred the Great, the now deceased king of the still all-powerful Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Wessex, which had led the fight back against the Danes in the latter half of the 9th century. Like practically every other ruler in Britain at the time, Anarod's reign had been a harsh and unforgiving time, seeing him pitted in battle against enemies on practically all of his borders. Though unlike most of the other rulers of the time, many of whom just reigned for a handful of years, Anarod lasted for close to four decades, only expanding and growing his power over those years. Just like his father Rodri before him, who had fought his own fair share of battles against Vikings on the shores of the Irish Sea in the 850s and the 860s, Anarod held firm against this new onslaught, rallying his warriors together to finally drive Ingermunder away by the end of the year. 
though it remains difficult to arrive at a full picture of Anarod's reign due to the sheer lack of written sources during this turbulent and violent era. His reign remains one of the most fascinating of this whole period, and he himself is generally regarded as one of the most powerful Welsh kings of the era. By the late 870s, after a long series of ultimately successful, yet no less costly wars against Viking invaders, who time and time again had tried their luck against the northern Welsh kingdom of Gwynedd, King Rhodri suffered a new massive invasion, not from the sea this time, but from the old enemy to the east. In the summer of 878, the newly crowned king, Cheolwulf II, of the western portion of Mercia, by most accounts a puppet ruler of the Danes, who had now overrun much of the eastern portion of Britain, marched his forces over the ancient boundary of Offa's Dyke to wage war against the forces of Gwynedd, who since the conquests of Rhodri over the previous decades, now also held sway over the neighbouring Welsh kingdoms of Powys and Sysluig. Cheolwulf probably marched west against the Welsh in a fairly traditional attempt to cement his own authority in Mercia, amidst rumours of his own weakness in being controlled by the Vikings who now settled the east. Despite Rhodri's brilliant statesmanship and his skill in battle, his army had been greatly weakened by consistent Viking attacks from the Irish Sea, and now turned out to be no match for the Mercians. Rhodri was killed in the fighting, and his vast realm forcibly divided between his sons, in order to curtail any prospects of a unified, powerful Welsh state. As the oldest son, Anarod was given control of his father's original homeland of Gwynedd, centred upon his royal capital at Aberfraw on Anglesey's southern coastline. Though the exact nature of his early rule remains unclear, it seems probable that Anarod and his brothers who ruled over the other kingdoms were subject to at least some sort of nominal overlordship by Mercia. In 879, however, Cheolwulf either died or was deposed, leading the Welsh rulers to once again reassert their own independence. The northern kingdoms of Gwynedd, Powys and Sysluig remained divided amongst Rhodri's sons, though they worked in alliance with one another for the time being. In 880, the foremost Viking in Mercia at the time, Guthrum, finally left Mercia to take full control of East Anglia and to rule there under the Christian name Athelstan. This left Mercia open to gradually fall under the sphere of influence of the West Saxons under Alfred. It also further solidified the newfound autonomy of the Welsh kingdoms, who seemed to have seized this opportunity to go their own way. In response, in 881, Mercia, now under the control of a warlord of uncertain origins named Ethelred, once again invaded Gwynedd, where they met the Welsh at Conway to fight a decisive battle. This time, however, it was the Welshman's time to triumph, driving the Mercians back across the border, and according to the Welsh chronicles, taking vengeance for Rhodri by giving great slaughter to the Saxons, in a victory that was celebrated for centuries to come. It remains unclear whether his defeat at Conway led to Ethelred pledging his allegiance to Alfred as Lord of the Mercians, or whether he had already been put in place by Alfred, and then launched the attack under Alfred's orders. Either way, in the aftermath of Conway, a brand new political situation was forged. Gwynedd, now representing three distinct kingdoms ruled by the sons of Rhodri, was a political and military powerhouse, and as long as the three brothers continued to work together, it would remain that way. Now free from mercy and overlordship, and temporarily from Viking incursions too, and already ruling over the northern and western portions of Wales, 
the sons of Rodri then turned to the independent kingdoms of the south and the centre, most notably Difford, Brecionog, Gwent and Glyswing, though Mercia and Wessex also had their sights firmly set upon the smaller Welsh kingdoms, thus setting the stage for a power struggle and quasi-proxy war in Wales between the Anglo-Saxons and the Northern Welsh. Though the extent of West Saxon involvement into Gwent and Glissing in the latter half of the 9th century remains unclear, Ethelred of Mercia is recorded as having launched relentless attacks into the kingdoms, ravaging the countryside in an attempt to force their submission. Similarly, the sons of Rodri also launched their own invasions, culminating in a proxy war of sorts, as both sides attempted to bring the royal families of the unfortunate smaller kingdoms sandwiched between them on side. Though it remains unclear whether Ethelred acted independently in his campaigns, it seems possible, if not probable, that Alfred pulled the strings in order to eventually bring the Welsh on side against the Danes, and thus one day achieve his eventual goal of unification, the same goal that Rodri and now his sons had sought for their own people. Eventually, the situation in Gwent and Glissing became so dire that rather than submit to Mercia or Gwyneth, and risk losing any sort of autonomy, they opted instead to submit to overlordship by Alfred of Wessex. Meanwhile, in Gwyneth, the threat from Mercia, whose armies were now freed up from Gwent and Glissing, was apparently so severe that Anarod and his brothers, determined to go their own way rather than submit to the Anglo-Saxons, opted to forge an alliance with the other great superpower of the age, and Alfred's greatest enemy, the Vikings of Jorvik. The Kingdom of Jorvik had previously been ruled by Halfdan, a son of Lothbrok and foremost leader of the Great Heathen Army that swept through Britain in the 860s and the 870s. Upon his death in 877, however, most likely whilst fighting fellow Vikings in Ireland, while staking his own claims to the Kingdom of Dublin, a new king eventually came to the throne. For a time, it seems that the Scandinavian Kingdom of Northumbria, the most powerful Viking state in Britain, may have in actuality been ruled over by a coalition of ruling Scandinavian magnates. Within a few years, however, a new king of unknown origins begins to come to the fore. His name was Guthred, and unlike his predecessors, he may have actually been a Christian, or at least had some kind of association with the clergy of the north, which may have added a certain degree of legitimization amongst the remaining Anglo-Saxons of the region. The exact nature of the alliance remains unclear, though Anarod and his brother Cadil continued their attacks into Difford and Brickenog to the south, attempting to bring the last independent Welsh kingdoms under their control rather than the Anglo-Saxons. Like Gwyneth in the north, the southern kingdom of Difford had been subject to extensive Viking raids since as early as the 8th century, causing intense societal and political instability in the region. Unlike the strong rulers of Gwyneth, however, the Vikings had succeeded in establishing permanent settlements in southern Difford, which they used as staging posts and breeding grounds for pirates for generations. By the latter part of the 9th century, Difford's ruler, King Hyfad, had grown increasingly cautious of the influence of the sons of Rodri the Great, and possibly after some convincing by Alfred's Welsh bishop, Asa, a native of Difford, sought out an alliance from the patronage of Alfred the Great, in exchange for protection from the Northern Welsh and the Vikings. Thus, by the 890s, despite the best efforts of the Northern Welsh, Gwent, Glissing, Brecinog and Difford had all pledged their allegiance to Wessex rather than the sons of Rodri. 
with Ethelred now married to Alfred's daughter, Athelflaed, and the West Mercians also under West Saxon control. Alfred had succeeded in firmly establishing himself as the foremost power in the south of Britain. This shift in power, which was now blatantly obvious to the Vikings of Northumbria, may have prompted a change of policy in regards to the Northern Welsh, who they apparently attempted to subjugate now, rather than to allow them to fall in line with the other Welsh kingdoms. By the 890s, the alliance between Anarod and Jorvik finally began to fall apart. Begrudgingly, the Northern Welsh changed their allegiance to Wessex. The Welsh historian and biographer of Alfred, Asser, relates that Anarod and his brothers visited Alfred at his court in Wessex and were received warmly. Anarod received honours and gifts from the Saxons and King Alfred stood witness at his confirmation, acting as his godfather in return for the allegiance of Gwyneth. Speculation even exists that the great biography written of Alfred's life by Asser was actually written not for the Anglo-Saxons, but for the Welsh, with the express intention of bringing his countrymen on side and to convince them that Alfred wasn't like the other Anglo-Saxon kings before him. According to Asser, the new alliance actually worked well for both sides, with Anarod proceeding to use his new Saxon allies to help in repelling a raid by his former Danish allies in around 894. The once powerful sons of Rodri apparently turned on each other before long, effectively destroying any chance of a unified Wales for the time being. Anarod apparently used his newfound alliance with the Saxons to ravage his brother Cadell's lands in Ceredigan and Istrad Tawi in 895, possibly after Cadell had turned on his brother Murfin, thus creating the foundations of the cadet branch of Gwyneth that would later give rise to the next all-powerful King of Wales, Hewell the Good, a generation later. Thus, by 902, when the Vikings of Dublin under Ingamundir launched their attempted invasion of Anglesey, Anarod had already dedicated three decades of his life to ceaseless warfare, during which time he seems to have been mostly undefeated. It doesn't come as too much of a surprise that the Vikings were driven off. Times had changed in Wales during the Viking Age. Welsh kings were now strong, powerful and an equal match for any opportunistic Viking warlord. Two years later, in 904, the last king of Difford, Luarch ap Ifad, died and his kingdom was finally taken over by the descendants of Rodri, specifically Cadell and his son Hewell. It would be this cadet branch of the family in the south, rather than the main branch in Gwyneth, that would now arise to become the dominant force in Wales, eventually absorbing the realm of Anarod's son and heir, Idwal, who succeeded his father in 916. This is a brand new podcast, so if you like what you heard... The best way to help the show out is to leave a review on iTunes. This is the best way for new podcasts to grow and for people to find the show. You can also find tons more historical material over on the History Time social media links. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. If you really like what you heard and want to help me to keep making new podcasts, videos and articles then the best way to help is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash historytimeuk. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll help me to keep making material, get sneak previews of what I'm working on, and gain the opportunity to vote on upcoming videos and podcasts. 
I'm Pete Kelly, and you've been listening to History Time. See you on the next one.